All right, it's the final hour of the show, the Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN. I'm Mike Gill. That's Hunter Brody. What's going on, everybody? Hopefully you're enjoying the day. The NFL Championship weekend came and went. You know, Aaron Rodgers, it doesn't sound like Aaron Rodgers seems too thrilled about having to, you know, play next year in Green Bay. I mean, he would made some heavy indications, bros, that he might be out of there after what happened in that game yesterday. Championship weekend, we got a Super Bowl. It's Tom Brady again. New team, same quarterback. They go to the Super Bowl to represent the NFC up against Andy Reid's Chiefs, and we were kind of looking at how the Chiefs were built, by the way. Somebody tweeted at me, at Mike Gill Show, that they hit on every first-round pick since 2010 except for one. Yeah, well, the problem is none of them guys are on the team anymore. You know, Dwayne Bowe, yeah, they hit on him. He kind of fizzled out. That was a weird story. Bowe was, like, great for a year, a couple of years, and then he fizzled out. Um a lot of these guys, they're not on the team anymore, though. So I didn't say that they missed on their first-round pick. I'm just saying that they didn't have guys that were first-round picks that are a on big part now. of this roster. Right, yeah, two different conversations. You want to talk about the Chiefs' history of drafting well, well, then, yeah, I mean, you can use that as your example. But if you're looking at this specific team and how well they're playing now, well, not all of those players that you spoke about is still on the team, you know, competing at a high level with Andy Reid and Pat Mahomes as we speak. Right. Two different I mean, conversations. Yeah, I mean, Eric Fisher was the first overall pick in the draft. And let's be honest, he hasn't been like this franchise-level left tackle that they thought they were getting. So he, he's good. By the way, I don't think he's going to play in the Super Bowl. Which is crushing. Yeah, but he's not like you're, you know, he's not a Hall of Fame left tackle that's changed their franchise. Um, Mahomes... Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Fisher are the only three first-round picks that they drafted that are on the team, and then Sammy Watkins was drafted by Buffalo, guess, Buffalo yeah, Buffalo in the first round. They have four first-round picks on their whole roster. That's unbelievable for a team that could be going just back-to-back Super Bowls. Think about that. Yeah, and I talk about how this contract of Pat Mahomes kicks in eventually. Well, you need to draft these guys and hit on them so they can be playing for cheap money when you have your quarterback making so much money. So it just adds something to the future of this dynasty in the making that we're watching. Yeah, look, there's no question that they're a very well-run organization. They've hit on some diamonds in the rough. They've um, been lucky to get a guy like Mahomes, who was not the consensus X, Y, or Z player. He was a guy that they targeted, traded up to go get, and it, it turned out to be the pick of that draft. That was a really good first. They got, there was Miles Garrett, um, Jamal Adams, McCaffrey. I mean, those guys were all drafted in the top ten. He had a couple busts in there, too. Solomon Thomas. Leonard Fournette's been all right. He's, Corey he's Davis. rebuilding himself now. Yeah, I mean, he's not like a – you drafted him number four overall. Like, think about that. You were Jacksonville, another team. You have no quarterback. You pass on Mahomes. You pass on Watson to take a running back. Yeah, that's just horrendous. And he went on this story. I think Rob Motti was actually talking about it on Twitter because he was interviewing these guys after the game and uh, about going to jail and how he's like kind of rejuvenating re- his entire life and his career about how he was treated with the Jags and people looked at him as his bad teammate. And now he's doing spinorama 20-yard touchdowns ready to go to the Super Bowl. It's a pretty crazy story for him. Well, and then I'm looking at the next pick in that draft, Corey Davis. Think about Tennessee. Tennessee. This is a good team. Tennessee's a good team, and they took Corey. You had the fifth pick of the draft, and you missed that bad. Yeah, he's you take starting Corey to turn Davis around. Davis from but... Western Michigan, like, oh my god, that frustrates the heck out of me. Like, why? Why would you do that? I know. I mean, they didn't have a quarterback either. Uh, that's the crazy part about it. It would be different if you had somebody who I mean, you I could rely on. Mariota. 
Ah, I guess. And I was such a big do the deal guy back then. Sure, me too. Yeah. Well, because of who the coach was. Right. But Corey Davis had a better season as a late. He almost had 1,000 yards this year. I mean, just Corey Davis, but. good, not great. Like, again, you have a situation there where you have a chance. And this is like the whole Eagles thing. You have pick six. Like, you can't get Corey Davis in that spot. No, no. You cannot take – now, the pick six pick in this draft was Jamal Adams. I would take that. What, what is Devontae Smith such a uh, – you talked about Central Michigan for Corey Davis. Western uh, excuse me, Western Michigan. Yeah, um, the central part of Michigan, I'm okay yeah. with. <laughs> Western side, not so much. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but think about it. Like, Devontae Smith, you can swing on that one. Talk about Alabama and talk about Heisman Trophy kind of guy. Like, two different. what if Devontae Smith ends up being a bust, which well, is crazy to I think about. I think the about, difference but. in that draft, and Josh, correct me if I'm wrong here, because this is going back a couple of years. Corey Davis... You had Mike Williams from Clemson, who didn't hasn't turned out to be all that great either. John Ross with Washington, who has been a complete busteroni. I don't think Corey Davis was the clear cut consensus number one wide receiver that you would reach and get him with the fifth pick in the draft. Like that's a trade back situation. I can agree with you on that. Yeah, they went for a reach for sure. And yeah, like you said, he's a nice player, but in terms of hey, what you could have gotten in that spot, it doesn't even compare. That's why, like this whole Eagles with this sixth pick in the draft. You cannot afford to have Corey Davis happen to you. You cannot have that happen. Do you have somewhere, now that we're starting to understand the, the staff a little bit more, has that swayed your opinion on what you want to do? Um, not necessarily, but I will say this. I, I'm looking at a guy who has worked with wide receivers, quarterbacks, in the head coach. you got a defensive coordinator who's been a defensive back coach. I wonder how much Jonathan Gannon's saying, hey, look, this defense isn't all that bad. You get me Slay and get me that kid um, from Alabama, Sertain, all of a sudden, look, this defense can turn around pretty quickly. I, we've we've had that, you know, um, happen in Indianapolis. Like, we got our secondary fixed, and that helped propel our defense. Like, I don't know what kind of voices these guys are going to have on draft day. That's the thing. But I would think getting a – a uh, Micah Parsons having that guy on the defensive side of the ball that the new defensive coordinator is saying, look, I can – because, again, I I know we disagree, maybe the people out there, and maybe you do a little bit here, but I think that the Eagles believe that the offensive problems had to do more with injury and Wentz than it did, hey, because they have to believe in Rieger. They have to think that this guy can play. They have to think that Goddard can play. They have to think that Sanders can play. They have to think that if they have their offensive line back, they're not that bad. So I feel like this pick almost has to be on that defensive side of the ball to get an impact player. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with going after the outside corner so you can now have Darius Slay and now you're working with the young stud. I just feel, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm getting the wrong vibe, but since you are getting an offensive coach and you are getting an offensive mind, that it might lean that way to kind of help him with another player that can definitely be a, a game-changing type player with game-changing speed. So I just, based off of him being an offensive guy, I feel the way. If they would have hired a defensive guy as their head coach, I probably would think that they would tend to lean that way. But I, I do agree with you in terms of, you know, I think you need more of an impact guy on your defense right now. And I'm down on the wide receivers more than you are, but I think that just shows you where they are defensively more so than where they are offensively. I think they do need that young impact type of player on that defensive side. They're missing it. There's no doubt. 
I think to me that's the biggest problem they have, and their best players on defense are older players. It's Brandon Graham, it's Fletcher Cox, it's Rodney McLeod. Those guys are old. Darius Slay. Do we even, even he's know what, what the deal with Rodney McLeod's even going to be next year? I mean, he's coming off of something pretty serious, right? It's, no, that's my point. Is you got older guys, guys that are breaking down a little bit. You have to start finding the next Brandon Graham. The problem is you took Derek Barnett. He hasn't worked out to the level that you thought. And I don't know that he's worked out to any level. I'm just not a fan of Barnett. He's always hurt. He's always broken down. Um, Stupid he, penalties. Yeah, he he has just not been an impact player. The defensive tackle spot with Fletcher Cox, they've done that mostly through free agency. They went and got Malik Jackson. They went and got Hargrave. So you ha- remember, you took Fletcher Cox in the first round. When are you going to make that pick again? When are you going to have the draft capital to say we need to replace Fletcher? With a guy of that magnitude, meaning in that draft spot. Well, did they do that already? Do they value Hargrave as that next guy of Fletcher Cox's caliber, or or is that not how they approach it? I, would, I know he's not, but I'm just saying, is that how they maybe – they, maybe they don't – I don't know. I mean, I'm just thinking with the new philosophy, too, defensively without Jim Schwartz, do you need – if they're going to be a blitz type of team, do they need to rely as heavily on that defensive front? Not that they're not going to, but, you know, look, you're changing the philosophy. Maybe they don't rely as heavily on it as they did in the past, and they bring more blitzes, and they look for a different style of defense. Hey, look, you heard what Moe said. More cover two, more uh, blitzing which means, yeah, maybe the um, defensive linemen, there's not going to be as much value put on them as Jim Schwartz's defense did because we know he put extra value on defensive linemen, which limited the expenditures in linebackers and, to some extent, in the secondary. We don't have to have as good a secondary if we get to the quarterback. If we get more pressure, hey, those corners don't have to be as good. And now you can do something where Hargrave is your Fletcher Cox, let's say. So obviously it's a step down, but you still have a very good defensive tackle, and then you can you can yeah, maybe upgrade elsewhere. Hargrave, I mean, he's twenty seven himself, so he's kind of getting older yeah, quickly yeah. on you. Well, how old's Fletch? Thirty. Fletch was drafted in what? Uh, twenty. Fletch is thirty on the dot. He'll be thirty one. He year, just turned thirty. What year was he drafted? Twenty twelve. I was going to say thirteen. Okay, yeah, so twelve overall. So, yeah, he was a high first-round pick. I mean, so at what point do you need to put draft capital to replace him? You know what I'm saying? Like, at some point, you have to. You had this cog in your defense for all these years. Now, you look at what Indianapolis did this offseason. They went out and got the defensive tackle. Def- the, the, now, remember, Gannon wasn't the coordinator there. So just what they did doesn't mean that's what they're going to do. But they uh, went out and got Buckner and put him in the defensive tackle spot. But their secondary was very good. They drafted uh, Rocky Sin. They got Xavier Rhodes, who was kind of like a cast-off. And, wasn't, and then he kind of resurrected that. Uh, Hooker was another one who uh, turned out to be a pretty good player. So the secondary there was kind of the strength of that team. That's why it's, it's going to be interesting to see which way they go. You got Slay. I would think right now... If I'm ranking the three areas at number six, I would say Sertan, Parsons, and then one of those wide receivers. I can get behind that. If they're sitting in a room right now having this same chewing the fat, you know, spinning a little yarn, what do you think, draft day, who are you looking at? I would say those are the three players or the 
two players and then the position. I don't know which receiver they would like best. That's going to be a tough spot between Smith and, and Wendell and, and uh, Chase. Yeah. No, I, I think maybe it, it might go outside corner, then wide receiver, then linebacker. I could be wrong. I'm, I'm not against either three. If we get any sort of those three, of that combination, I'm cool with it. I'm walking out of draft day with a smile on my face because they have a lot of holes. So, you know, if I was ranking it, I'd probably go outside corner, wide receiver, then linebacker. But as we've all said, using the word linebacker, to describe Parsons might not do it justice. So it's it's unfair for me to use that position because he can do so much on the football field. I wonder I wonder if younger guys, new coordinator has opened their like um their view on a linebacker yeah. position. Yeah. I, I think like they if, they would have to. They're adapting with the times almost. With go get yourself a, not exactly the same player, but a younger Malcolm Jenkins where you can play him in this versatile role where it's not just, hey, he's here. He can do so much. He can play in coverage. He can play in the box and, and be a factor and help stop the run. And he can play, in, you know, anywhere. Like, me, he can do so much. Let me ask you this. Six pick, draft night. What's your reaction if they take an offensive lineman? I would be underwhelmed, but understanding. I'd be like, ooh, I really would have liked a, a, something else, but I get how important that is to football. It's just not a sexy pick, but I know how important they are. Just given the injury issues they had on that line. And they're getting older. They're getting older. I can understand it, but I'm at the mindset of, I'm this high in the draft. Let me see if I can get something and hope that that line has another year left in it. Okay, I can do that. I think they do have another year left in them, as much as I'm worried about the age. Let me ask you this. What's your reaction on draft night if you're sitting there and they trade back? Oh, I'm okay with that. Okay, me too. I am as well. And help out, get some help, and uh, add to a couple different areas. Might not be as powerful as a guy, but fixing two positions might be a lot better than one right now. Now, three-card Monty is watching on YouTube. And he says, trade down and grab a bunch of linemen on both sides of the ball. What if we just came back on draft night the next night? We had six new linemen. Because that's kind of what it seemed like he said. Just go grab all the linemen you can. Yeah, see, <laughs> okay, two things here. One, at left tackle, I have two guys I'm intrigued by. And I'm going to let them battle it out. My Alada, who I thought gave me some nice play uh, with very little experience. And Dillard who I drafted in the first round a couple of years ago. So I'm not taking a left tackle, right? Correct. That's off the board. Would you agree? I would agree with you. Say Amala, this is the tough pot because we don't know what Kelsey's going to do. You won't draft a guard either, though, that high. You're not drafting a guard at number six. But say Amala, let's say he plays left guard. I'm okay with that. He's average. If Kelsey comes back, I got my center for at least one more year. Brandon Brooks. This is where I get iffy. The right side, which is, if they're healthy, it's the best right side in football. It's just, I'm scared because they've both been injured. So it's like, what do you do with that? If they are healthy, you are seriously talking about the best right side in football. But can I expect them to be healthy? I just right. don't know. So I'm not drafting a right guard to replace Brooks, and I'm not drafting a right tackle. So I think the offensive line is out. What if something pops so much for you at tackle where you can – but here's the thing. Do they think they have the next right tackle on their team already in a um, Jack Driscoll? Like I'm thinking, okay, if Lane Johnson, because he's getting in his 30s now, do they think they already have that next tackle? 
Because I'm saying if there's a tackle that's there, do you think about it? But if they already view someone in the works to eventually take over Lane Johnson's position in a handful of years, yep. why would you draft that? Well, you got two ways to look at it there. One, if Dillard is your left tackle, what happens with Maialata? Does he go back to the swing guy? My gut feeling tells me that Maialata is going to be your left tackle, and the and we're going to have an interesting conversation about what is going to happen with Dillard. Maybe they trade him. I don't know if he has a lot of value, but for some reason, my gut tells me the Dillard thing is just not going to work out like we thought. Okay, well, I wouldn't be sure, because now you have a new regime here. So That's nobody's true. nobody's tied to this. Stoutland, though. Stoutland. Good point. Yeah. But you're right. No one is emotionally The head coach tied. is not tied to this guy. Right. Maialata has played right tackle. Dillard tried to play right tackle and was abysmal. Yes. Which now has formulated an opinion from many people that he just flat out can't play based on one night of playing right tackle. But if you're being fair to Dillard, he was pretty solid playing left tackle. He was horrendous playing right tackle. But Maialata, by having him... The Eagles would might say, look, when Lane Johnson is done, Maialata is our future right tackle and Dillard's our left tackle. As much as I love some of the names that are like behind these players, right? Like a Jack Driscoll in this, the Eagles like to build legit elite offensive lines. If we're and maybe I'm I'm not seeing the full picture, but like if Jack Driscoll is just like a nice right tackle that can help fill in, you know the Eagles like to legitimately build within to the point where they have top tier elite lines, right? I mean that's what their their whole mo has kind of been since we've been watching this team play. Is Jack Driscoll being a nice okay lineman enough to satisfy them? Is my question. If if their goal and identity is we want to have elite offensive line play, and that's where I question if they have someone behind them and that doesn't satisfy them big picture wise, will they still go out and use a pick highly to go get maybe yeah. an, an elite tackle? Driscoll, I think that I would imagine Driscoll, Herbig, those guys to them are your rotational depth guys. They can play multiple positions. They can be there in a pinch. If somebody gets hurt, you don't have a huge drop-off. They can get by for four or five weeks. But they don't want those guys to be your 16-game starter. Right, so that's where I'm, I'm thinking, okay, like they're nice players, but knowing how they operate, if you have something possible on the board to get like a potential elite next Lane Johnson, can you pass up possibly getting the next Lane Johnson? I don't think you do that this year. I agree with you. I don't think this year's the year. Too to many do. other problems. Offensive line problem, but in-house fixability. You take the chance to see whether the in-house fixability does fix the issue this year. And if it doesn't, then you know, all right, now it's time to say this guy's not the same player he was. That guy's got nothing left in the tank. He's breaking down. I can't trust him. Brandon Brooks, look, he got hurt twice, but he played the whole season last year. The year before, I should say. He got hurt in the in the game before the, the playoff game. Correct. So he played 15 games. He came back to play the very next year and then got hurt in the offseason. So I don't really – I'm not worried about Brooks and his injury problem. They they happened – the one happened to be why he was working out. It wasn't like he got hurt in the game. I know. So weird, too, because he tore his other Achilles. Like, I just wonder if something due to favoring one Dude, side almost happened because of the other. My man's back. He looks like he can get in the octagon with Brock Lesnar. Yeah, he does. He's doing – I think he was doing box jumps within one week. I think he had the surgery in the same night. Serious. He was, he was on a hopscotch. Dude, that or, guy no, – What's that thing called where you – not a hopscotch, but a uh, pogo stick. A, yeah, I think I saw him on a pogo stick the next day. Yeah, I don't have a lot of concern about Brooks and his health. Lane Johnson, not so much either. People are like freaking out. 
It's just it's I'm I'm with you. I understand what you're saying. I just think once you hit that backside of 30, yep. where normally you're Fair. right, it's just it, this starts to be the creep time where it starts to creep in a little bit here, a little bit there. It's we're starting to hit that territory. But you're right in terms of like look at their last five years. You're not going to see something that can concern you. But I think this is the start, and I hope I'm wrong. I really do. Lane John. Uh, by the way, Brooks uh, has played. 15, 15, 14, 14, 16, 16, 16 games. So he does not have a track record. In fact, one of the years where I think he missed games was not due to injury. I think it was due to the anxiety, anxiety problem that, that, that he had. So Brooks, I'm not all that concerned with the injury. And he would been he hurt himself last offseason. So by the time September comes around, he's going to be way past that injury. So he doesn't concern me that much. Lane Johnson... He is 30 years old. He's actually younger than Brooks is. So I hear what you're saying about Lane Johnson. I just think he happened to have this ankle problem. He tried to play through it and couldn't, and now it's got this thought of, well, he couldn't do it. He shouldn't have been out there to begin with. The team was just so bad, I think, that he was trying. And I think it even happened. I could be wrong, but they played like a green and white game before the season even started at their training camp, and that's where it actually started. So the fact that he went that long before – calling it quits and needing to get the surgery because they scraped stuff out of his of his ankle. So, uh, look. Those I, guys aren't 35 years old. No, they're, they're 30 not. and 31. I think they probably have another three, four solid years left in them. Like, before you have to start thinking. Think about Jason Peters, by the way. I know he wasn't that good this year or last year, but he's 38, 39 years old. Like, I think these two guys both have another three solid years before you have to start thinking about their replacement. I really hope you're right. Look, if that's the if that's the situation we get laid out, I'm a, I'm a happy man if you get those guys playing at this level for that long, for sure. I think they definitely, though, need to figure out what to do at center. Yes. I mean, I know the option on the table right now is either Isaac slides over or Matt Pryor is your center, right? Is that kind of what, what their philosophy would be if, if Kelsey Well, they it? might lose... Say Amala to center, right, and Herbig maybe to play left. Oh, excuse guard. me, what did I say? Prior? Prior, I'm sorry, Herbig, Herbig. He played a little bit of center at, at one point, did he not? I think he could. Luke Jeriga. He's, he's an. Oh yeah, that's right. He slid in there as well. So that, I mean, look, Kelsey has obviously been a. Now he didn't play all that well at times this year either. He had the injury. I think he scudded it out with that arm injury. I think because everybody else was hurt, that he was like, look, if I can get out there, I'll be out there. But center is definitely a spot that. But remember, they got Kelsey in the sixth round. Yeah. Centers you typically will get fourth, fifth, sixth Definitely. round. And Herbig, I remember, like Herbig can play center if needed as well. He took reps with the Eagles before in some preseason stuff, and he was an undrafted center at, like, at one point. That's what he was listed as. So, you know, he, he can do it. I don't know to what rate, but, you know, I like what Nate Herbig's brought to the table. I think if that happens, guy. they would do Sayamala center, Herbig to guard. Probably. Or, look, that's where you draft guys in the deeper rounds this year. Because remember last year, keep in mind, they drafted wide receivers in like the fourth round, the fifth round. You know, later they were drafted. Remember, they were drafting all these guys. High Tower, Watkins. Exactly. So they kind of neglected. Well, they got Driscoll and Herbig, but they kind of neglected those offensive linemen where they typically grab these guys in like the third, fourth, fifth round. And because they got Sayamala third round. Um, so I don't know. But I think the offensive line is an area that we're talking about that sixth pick that they do not have to put on the list of pieces that is something that they need at that number six spot. Something that just came to my mind, talking about the sixth spot, and then Parsons came to my brain again. What are we supposed to expect out of Davion Taylor? Playing time? Not ready yet? Like, 
Not that that's going to be a difference in getting Parsons because you can utilize both, but what 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 should we expect from him? Fair question. I mean, I thought they kind of were like, hey, don't think this guy's going to be ready to play anytime soon, but you have a whole new coaching staff in here now. Right. All right, Sports Bash coming up. Well, we got a Super Bowl set. We'll look back at the weekend. Matt LaFleur is getting roasted for his decision to kick a field goal to make it a five-point game instead of going for it. Would that have changed things? Who knows? But Tom Brady's going back to the Super Bowl. Why are the Bucks there and not the Packers? Casey Joyner will tell us what happened yesterday. Plus, Kansas City again. Oh, man. Andy Reid is back with a chance to win now a second Super Bowl in a row. We'll look back at the NFL Championship Weekend next. Tonight on Compass Media Network's coverage of college basketball, we're in Morgantown for Texas Tech against West Virginia. Mac McClung and the Red Raiders gun for a Big 12 road win against Derek Culver and the Mountaineers. The Sports Bash, live now on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Search 97.3 ESPN or visit our website, 97.3 ESPN.com. All right, Sports Bash live on 97.3 ESPN. Championship weekend is in the books, which means we have a Super Bowl set. And we're going to look at it next with NFL insider Casey Joyner, thefootballscientist.com, and he's set to join us here on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. What a weekend it was. So many questions after that NFL championship weekend that we're going to get into right now and get Casey's thoughts on it. But what we want to start off with, Casey Joyner, as we do, uh, Tampa Bay and Kansas City. Is there any historical significance between these two teams? I can't think of a matchup that these two teams have ever had other than the Brady versus Reed rematch from uh, when the Eagles made it. But anything, you're a historical guy. Anything Tampa Bay, uh, Kansas City worthy? Nothing? I can't think of anything. Not with Tampa Bay anyway. No, I, I can't. And <clears throat> this may be the best matchup of quarterbacks in Super Bowl history, and that's saying something. And that's not – I don't think that's, that's a uh, – <clears throat> I don't think that's hyperbole. I think if you really look even at the historical, there's been some great matchups. Even the first Super Bowl, even uh, Green Bay, Kansas City had two Hall of Fame quarterbacks. I just don't think you've ever had one that has. If if Mahomes is what we all think he is, this is the two greatest quarterbacks in NFL history. Playing. You, you'll appreciate this. Have you seen the video of The Rock and Hollywood Hogan at uh, WrestleMania staring at each other? <laughs> and they're like Brady and Mahomes, like, you know, hey, this is our moment, but I'm passing it over to you, man. That that it and if this if the Super Bowl is anywhere as good as that match was, we're gonna be entertained. <laughs> well, we were entertained yesterday. It was a great game. Let's start with your thoughts on what Tampa Bay was able to do defensively that made Rodgers and that Green Bay offense look out of sync all day. I thought that that uh Green Bay I think that they gave up on the running game a whole lot quicker than they should have. Green Bay ran the ball two times on their first drive, and then nine of their next 10 plays were, were, were on, the, on the next drives. Nine of their next 10 plays were passing plays. Al Davis used to say, you don't stop us by your scheme. You stop us by stopping us. In other words, if you, if you play a certain type of scheme, we're not necessarily just going to let you take us out of our game plan just because, hey, you put certain players in certain places. You're going to have to stop us. 
They ran the ball two times on the first drive, Digger and Bay. They got three rushing yards, and I think they said, well, Tampa Bay is going to stop our running game. We need to throw the ball. I don't think you can give up on the ground game that easy because that's who Green Bay was. Inside zone, outside zone, a lot of power running the ball, and then throw the ball over the top. And when they got out of that game plan, I think that was funny because Lafleur's taking a lot of grief for all the other things. I think he needs to take grief for the fact that you gave up on your own game. You just allowed it to go. You didn't let. You didn't make them stop you. You just threw in the towel on it. With that being said, what do you think about Todd Bowles and his performance? It kind of goes, uh, you know, almost conflicts you a little <laughs> bit. But I thought, you know, he did have an impressive day at the office. Oh, mind you, this is not to take anything away from Todd Bowles. This is to take away nothing because the running game is not as easy to stop. People like to think like you just put the extra guy in the box and, hey, you stopped the running game. Well, as Troy Aikman said earlier this year, he said, you know, if that would have been the case, Emmett Smith would have never rushed for a yard. So uh, the thing is, is I mean, look at Devontae Adams, 15 targets. He's the best receiver in the NFL, 15 targets, nine receptions for 67 yards. I even asked my son, who was ever getting later in the game, like, how many targets do you think Adams has? I'd pulled up NFL GSIS and said, I'm, I was surprised to see that he had had 12 targets because it was a quiet game. He's only catching, you know, again, nine for 67, only getting 7.4 yards per reception. When you can take the top receiver in the NFL, a guy who's capable of tearing defenses apart and say, fine, we're just going to make him a dink and dunk receiver. That speaks really well for what Todd Bowles did. Yeah, and they were able to get to Rodgers a lot. I mean, it just seemed like they were all over him all day long. Every time they needed a big play, they got a set. Every time Green Bay needed a big play or seemed like they had a shot, there was a set. I mean, when they get him like eight times yesterday, it was, it, it was just, you know, they had him in – it was just a really aggressive defense from Bowles. It was, and that's the thing. He doesn't mind being aggressive. And in fact, the thing you're facing, you think about it, you're facing the Packers running game, one of the best in the league. You're facing Rodgers, the MVP. You're facing Devontae Adams, the best receiver in the league. Usually a lot of teams would be like, let's just make sure we don't get beat over the top. They were blitzing. They were being as aggressive as they could be. They got eight quarterback hits too. And the Packers, when they lost Bakhtiari, that was – you can make up for offensive line injuries because you can coach up the offensive line. It's a position you can coach up, and it's a position that you can do a lot of creative things offensively to shore up. You know, you can chip a tight end, chip running backs, things of that nature. Didn't matter. It, <clears throat> they were able to make sure and say, we're going to get you in one-on-one -on -one pass blocking matchups, and we're going to be very aggressive against that. And it looked like Rodgers was – he wasn't rattled. He was uncomfortable. And it's saying something if you can get him uncomfortable this year. How should we view, or er, er, not Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady right now? You know, he's throwing all these interceptions. The defense is holding him in there. But at the same time, for example, the first drive, third down after third down after third down, he's completing it. And they're winning football games, and that resulted in a touchdown. So, you know, obviously this isn't the Tom Brady that we are used to seeing. But, you know, like how do we grade this thing? He continues to win. I think a lot of in those interceptions, because the interceptions sometimes, I used to have a metric called bad decision rate, and he's one of the reasons I actually don't track bad decision rates anymore because his bad decision rates would be, he would have, a bad decision was when you made a mental, a quarterback made a mental error that led to a turnover opportunity. So you did something mentally that, led, that gave the other team a, a chance for a pick. Not where you just throw up a jump pass and they go intercept it, but we actually misreading a defense, something of that nature. He would get like, his bad decision rate would be like, 0.05%, one out of every 200 passes. He'd have like two bad decisions all year. When I started doing it, you had Ben Roethlisberger have like a 5% bad decision rate. By the time I stopped doing this metric a couple years ago, other teams had mimicked what Brady was and got down to that level. Brady, I think now, if I were to grade if I were to grade his tapes, he would probably have bad decision rate about 1%. Okay, so one out of every 100 passes. You can still over-physical his receivers and go for, for interceptions that way. So I don't think he's making errors in that sense. 
But I do think that he is being as aggressive as his offense wants him to be. And when that's the case, you're going to put up some passes that are going to be potentially be intercepted. Although I will say I probably would grade that one pass where the blitz came through and he's throwing off his back foot and he, it was an air ball. And you could see that Evans thought it was going to go deeper and the cornerback could judge it better. I don't know. I might call that a bad decision because you really shouldn't throw against pressure that much and you probably should have taken the sack. But that's about be about the only thing where I'd say, boy, there were some mistakes he made there because he was making a lot of good reads all game. Yeah, and obviously, um, you know, Brady, three picks in the game. You don't win games in the playoffs at this level. Why were they able to overcome that? Uh, well, first off, because Green Bay's defensive coordinator uh, needs to join. Uh, he, it was the second. Uh, I might call that uh, that defense that they had at the end of the first half. That was, I mean, the, the the game in the Jets where the Jets played that kind of man coverage at the end of the game against the Raiders. Like it was like week 12, week 13, and then the Raiders won the game. That stood as the worst, and that cost that defensive coordinator's job, cost Greg Williams' his job. This was a horrible play. And you could see afterwards that, that LaFleur said, well, you know, uh, I wouldn't have, you know, that's not the best defense to be in in that situation. And you think, head coach, you ought to be able to say that. And it says that the Packers kind of have a, I think if, uh, what I've been reading between the lines is that that their defensive coordinator is there because you know, they don't necessarily want him there. The head coach might want a different defensive coordinator, but the team wants him there. They have a kind of committee approach on things there. So that might be that kind of a situation. But if you're looking at Green Bay, you're saying you gave up that situation. You had the the scoop score. You had you gave up too many of those sorts of plays. And again, why are you and the big thing after the game? Why are you not going for it on fourth down? Even Rodgers thought they were going to go for it on fourth down. So I think a lot of why they lost that game is because the reason that uh, they, the Mike McCarthy was trending after it's because Green Bay fans thought this is a return of Mike McCarthy's ways. How do you see the relationship between Tom Brady and Bruce Arians? Because it, it's so interesting to me. It's like in the beginning they were somewhat button heads and now they kind of figured out a flow. I, I don't know. I just think those two together, it's so unique. It's kind of like uh, you look at uh, you look at uh, rock bands and things, and a lot of times you hear about uh, you know classic rock bands, and they'll have they would have fights between the the top people, and because they fought, they actually made better music. And when they get, like, split those, and they, they split the creative people apart. Their music was good, but not quite as good. I think that's what that is. I don't think Brady minds if the coach says, "Hey, you made a mistake." If Brady made the mistake. As long as the coach is going to give Brady the the creativity to say, okay, you can do more. Back, remember back in the day, Roger Staubach. I'll go back uh, old, old school here. Roger Staubach, when he when he retired from the Cowboys in '79, he had said, "I want to call some of the plays." And Landry, Tom Landry, the head coach, was like, "I'm not going to let you do it. I call the plays. You're not going to do it." There was that kind of creativity, and I think that's what Brady felt in New England was, "I can't, I can't do, I can't make that kind of contribution to the team," and now. He's able to make that kind of contribution. So he looks at it and says, fine. My coach calls me out when I make a mistake. Fine. I made a mistake. I'm a, I'm a man. I can take this, but I get to have more say-so over what we do on offense. So he feels like I can control the dynamic here. So I think it's a where they push each other kind of dynamic that actually gets better productivity, I think, than Brady would have got if he had stayed in New England. Uh, let's get your take on LaFleur's decision to kick the field goal there. I and mean, It seems like everybody is criticizing him. Uh, are we just being reactionary, or was that legitimately a poor decision? I think when, t- when coaches start thinking, if I remember correctly, I, I saw yesterday that, that they said that that was – that had that gave them a 2% extra chance to, to win. And I remember what Bill James used to say about batting averages. Somebody would have like a 310 batting average, another guy have a 290. He'd say, that guy's a 310 batting average. And Bill would point out it's two percentage points. That means it's, you know, it's, it's two hits out of every 100 at-bats. You need to have a large volume 
of of at bats to actually make that worth something. And even then, who you know, who knows how much it's actually worth? He knew that that was an overvalued stat. And I look at that and go, well, that's that situation. Fine. It says you've got a two percent better chance, but you're also trusting your defense. Where you've got Kevin King having one of the worst cornerback, worst coverage performances in conference championship history. You can't stop the run very well. Brady's playing very well. You've got a lot of things going on with this. And I just look at it and go, this is not, you know, and you're going to trust your defense versus trusting the MVP, Devontae Adams, your running game. I just can't see that being the case. And again, Rogers thought, he said, that's why I didn't scramble because I thought we were going to have four downs. Well, uh, obviously, Rogers doesn't seem too happy. <laughs> to the point where you don't know have we seen him in a Green Bay uniform for the last time uh Green Bay I hope they will learn the lesson with Favre and that you yeah I mean they got they got Rodgers and things but they uh, how do you how do you handle that situation if Rodgers wants out I mean people are saying he can't leave he can't leave he can't they're saying the same thing about Deshaun Watson it looks like he's going to be able to get out of Houston if Rodgers said if he went to the press and said I want out and I've been a legend with this team and you need to let me go because I want to go somewhere else. I think the fan base would be so mad at, at, at Green Bay management that he could probably force their hand if he wanted to. What people are saying though is that it sounds like what he wants them to do is go all in. They were they because you know, they go and say, hey, let's draft love. Let's let's draft for the future. He's like, we can win a Super Bowl today. Give me as much help as we can get right now and we can get a Super Bowl. But if you keep trying to to build for the long term, stop doing that. Go in right now today and get this and then you can you know, re build from there but uh, let's not get away from who we are and i think he thinks they're not going to be as aggressive as they should be and if they're not i think he may try and get his way out of town which again i think he could force if he wanted to that would be really interesting i want to tie that field goal conversation into the next game but it was buffalo versus kansas city because sean mcdermott was getting a little bit of heat as well for going for some field goals now I, I actually don't mind it. I feel I know what most think, which is you got to outscore the Chiefs to beat the Chiefs, and they're so explosive. And I'm not disagreeing with that. I, I think there's value in that. But I also can see it from this way. You need to stay involved as much as possible. If you can get points against this team, just get as many points as possible until you need to throw that haymaker. Unfortunately, they never got a chance to, but I just I don't hate it as much as others did, I should say. I can understand certain times, like uh, if you're trying to, if you're going from, if you're, if it gets you like from 17 down to 14, where you get from three possessions down to two, I totally get that. It makes sense at some point because you've, you've got to get that third possession in there somewhere. I can understand it at, at a certain case. And the analytics people, I mean, I'm I'm for the be aggressive, go for it on fourth down, don't punt on fourth down. If you if you're midfield, things of that nature, I'm I'm of that mindset. I think there's enough reasons for it. But I think the analytics people, when they say, "Hey, pass the ball more often," or "Hey, go for it," they don't look at the they. It's it's a risk reward thing. And when you get the in overall, it probably tends to be better. But if it doesn't work out, the risk cannot can cost you big time. If you like, if you if you're you know if you're gonna take risky plays on first down guess what? You're going to be in second and long if it doesn't work. And that that's a bad place to be. And if you don't kick the field goals and you go for it, it's like going for two and things. If you don't make those plays, now you're behind the eight ball. I think he needed to be a bit more aggressive than he was. I think there were, he was a little too conservative on things. But then again, they're also looking at it saying, I, I think they realized that Kansas City had a defensive game plan that really slowed them down. Because without Beasley, and Beasley, we find out now he had a broken fibula. And he's playing three. He's like three he's games. Jack Youngblood of today, you know? Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and, and he, he's, he's doing that. So I think they realized, hey, they're a one-trick pony. All they got is digs, and that's it. Well, uh, you know, that game, I, I wonder, like, does that show 
I don't know. Does that tell you? I mean, the Bills, I thought, you know, all year long what got them there was they were an aggressive team. They were always kind of – and then I felt like the moment maybe was a little big for them, but does it just show the separation between where Kansas City is and the next team, which I guess is Buffalo? It's amazing that Kansas that Buffalo said in the first game – they did this game too. They said, we're going to play too high coverage, either cover two or cover four. We're going to sit back here with two safeties. We're going to invite you to run the ball. Early in the year, Kansas City ran the ball. I think if they would have had the same personnel this game, they would have run the ball. But I think Edwards Allaire played 32 snaps, just under 50% of the snaps. But I think they knew he's coming off being questionable. We don't want to ground and pound with him because we just don't know. Bell's out. We've got Williams. So we're our third string running back. We really don't want to lean on him. So they're going to invite us to pass. Fine. We're going to throw it. You're sitting back in cover two, and, and Mahomes is tearing you apart. It's a defense that's designed to stop these passes, and Mahomes is just hitting every 10-yard completion that he wants. It's the scary thing about Kansas City is that you can play a defense that says we should be able to stop him. They just out-execute you and do it anyway. So that's the scary thing about them. And Buffalo had more limited paths to success. And I do wonder about Josh Allen. He did seem to get rattled. I saw some shades of uh, Lamar Jackson where – it's a playoff game, and he's starting to get rattled enough to where he's throwing a ball at somebody and things of that nature. And you could see it all game. He was just like, you know, this is this is making me mad. Well, do something about it because right now it looks like you're a more limited quarterback than what you were all season. I don't understand why they weren't trying planned runs with him either. They they were letting him scramble, but they weren't doing a lot of planned runs, and I think that would have been something that would have, uh, would have thrown Kansas City a curveball. Not to look too big picture, but Eric Fisher did go down with an Achilles injury. How big is that for this Kansas City Chiefs team moving forward, especially because we brought up that uh, pass rush from Tampa Bay? It's a pass rush. It's going to be very big for the thing is, I think that this is going to be a very similar thing where Tampa Bay is going to say, we don't, we can, we don't have to play single high coverage. We won't play cover one and cover three. We'll sit back and cover two and cover four against you. We don't need to come up and stop the run because I think Kansas City's not going to run the ball very, very much in, in, in the Super Bowl. I think they're going to want to throw the football. And as they showed, they can do it if you get that type of coverage. But the point is, Buffalo couldn't get any kind of a pass rush. And I think Tampa Bay can. I think that Kansas City is going to have to creatively play call their their their, their pass blocking. I think that you have to get very creative. Now they can do it, and they're very good at doing it. But you're you're going to lose some one on one matchups. I wouldn't be surprised to see Tampa Bay do a lot of rushing five in that contest because that old coaching adage to where if you can't pass block, we'll make you block one on ones as often as possible. I think Tampa Bay will do a lot of that. So it's going to be an aggressive front versus. What what Kansas City could do to counterpunch that? And it's it's going to be very interesting to see how that goes. All right, uh, we'll have more on the Super Bowl with Casey Joyner. There's a look back at Championship Weekend. There's just a thought on the champion. Excuse me, the Super Bowl coming up, uh, which of course is two weeks. You can hear that game right here on 97.3 ESPN. But a fun Championship Weekend: Tampa Bay, Kansas City, Brady, Mahomes, Andy Reid, Bruce Arians, a couple Philly guys there. <laughs> Arians coached at Temple, of course, and Andy was uh, in Philadelphia for a while. So Casey, we look forward to previewing that matchup with with you and as always uh great stuff appreciate it guys all right he like august appeared via the boardwalk honda hotline and of course uh you saw uh crazy stuff in that game yesterday and he mentioned the fact that beasley with a broken fibula three games he played i didn't even see that did that news come out today yeah wow wow yeah that's insane that's like someone. I remember when the Bruins won the cup. I think someone was saying they were playing with like a punctured lung. I'm like, how can you be doing that? Crazy. Like blood clots. And, and I'm like, wow, how could you be playing through that kind of stuff? By the way, some breaking news for the Sixers Joel Embiid is out tonight. I knew that was coming. I wonder if that line moved. It was six and a half earlier. Yes, I think it did because I just saw four and a half. Okay. Two points he's worth. 
That's it? Only two. So oh. how many points does Simmons score tonight? What's the over under that? Oh, we got five questions coming up next. It's Sixers basketball tonight on 97.3 ESPN with the voice of the 76ers, Tom McGinnis, calling all the exciting play-by-play action. Here's a long stop by Shank. It's got a- All right, so uh, Paul Hudrick, our Sixers insider, tweeted out that uh, no win B tonight, precautionary, but we'll see if he'll play on Wednesday or not against the Lakers. I would imagine he will be going against the Lakers would be my guess. But um, all right, start the five. Now, unfortunately, I wasn't able to go. But how did your birthday party go? It was very nice. It was small. Uh, it was outside. I spent a lot of last week winterizing the porch. How'd that go? It was good. I was. Um, it was really cold. Of course, of all nights, it was the coldest night we've had, really. So it was cold, but I think it did the job. Like if you, like some people, um, have a nasty habit of smoking cigarettes, which I don't understand. But if they left the porch to go outside to, to puff some cigarettes, it was freezing out there. But then he came on the porch. It was like a ski lodge. Oh, that's so good. So I was. Yeah. I was. I thought it would be a little better, but I was also happy with. it. Because we were able to go outside so that people didn't have to, you know, be inside. It right. was a lot smaller crowd than than uh, than normal. Well, I'm thinking when you drink, too, you forget how cold it is, right? Just depending on... Oh, know, it was cold. How much, I, I walk in here, Josh tells me you guys stayed up till 3 a.m. doing yeah. karaoke. When you hear karaoke, it knows you guys were blitzed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm still dragging ass today. Oh. Yeah, yesterday Jeez, I... were dragging ass, please. I was struggling yesterday. Not hungover, just tired. Yeah, for sure. I was tired yesterday. Been there. Sunday, watching the game. I might have snoozed a little bit during that first game. Drawing? Any drawing on the pillow? Yeah. But it was fun. It was... Um, it was a nice time. It was good to see some people I haven't seen in a while. Like the PT was there. I haven't seen the PT in in the flesh since, uh, flesh. you know, for a while. It's been a while since. Yeah, I've seen now the PT. it's been crazy. It's uh, that's well, a we lot had of some like my cousin, who I haven't seen my cousin. Was in that the age. surprise that PT had for you? He said someone yeah, was my coming. Was there. But those two I haven't seen each other since 2016. So what did he say when he saw PT? Oh, they were hugging. Yeah, they're probably like, "Wow, is that Pete Thompson?" Yeah, right. Jeez. Yeah, they. they it was good to see some people I haven't seen in a while. That's good. Josh. Josh showed up at like midnight. Wow, I didn't realize he got there so late. <laughs> it was Jeez. like 10 I had to play catch up. But uh, all right, let me spitball at you. 76ers minus four and a half. I like that. Ben Simmons, 10 free throw attempts? Under. <laughs> Will West Virginia win tonight against Texas Tech? Probably not. Okay. That's a nine o'clock game right after the Sixers. That's going to be a fun game. Texas Tech's really good. Are you disappointed in the reaction from Carter Hart banging his stick all over the pipes and throwing it after the yeah, loss? I like to see a little emotion from an emotionless guy. Yeah, he's got none whatsoever, so that's telling. Frustration. Yeah, big time. We didn't get a lot into that Flyers, but tomorrow they play, so we'll talk more about that because I'd like to hear your thoughts on what's going on with this team. All righty. Don't be irrational. Though. I won't. Never. <laughs> all right, if you've been watching us, we appreciate that. And, of course, everybody listening on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app, download the app. You can watch the show on your phone, and you can watch Game Night, which is coming up next. Kevin McCormick on the Sixers. Wake up weekday mornings from 6 to 10.